You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So first, a question that I want us to kind of work with this morning is, what does it mean to be present in our neighborhood? Right, it's fitting that on our birthday we get to look back and celebrate all that God has done in our church and through our church. But when we, we set out to plant Sojourn Montrose, there was really one goal, right? To be a gospel presence in the neighborhood in order to make disciples of Montrose, a neighborhood that historically has had little lasting gospel presence. And what I mean by gospel presence is this, a community of people that would be so devoted to the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did that we would read and study and know his word and then be a community that is so devoted to God's word that we begin to be transformed and shaped into a community that loves God and loves our neighbors because that's what he commanded. Right, Faithfully committing ourselves to long-term, low-key relationships marked by love, hospitality, invitation, and discussion about who Jesus is. But why? Right? Why start a church in any neighborhood? To quote my uncle when I told him we plant churches, he said, why do we need more churches? He's not a Christian. Um, so he, didn't, he doesn't get it, right? He doesn't understand that there's a need for more gospel presence in neighborhoods. And you've probably heard this. This is what he said after that. He said, I don't mind Christians believing what they believe. I just wish they wouldn't be so vocal about it. I bet you've heard that too. So instead of being this church marked by mission and knowing and loving our neighbors and inviting them into our homes and into our parishes and into our Sunday gatherings, why don't we just go be somewhere else and be Christians there alone? We're going to... We're going to talk about that, but first I want us to go, uh, two weeks ago we finished our Exodus series, and we finished, uh, Cole finished by talking about the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is this word that means the movable home of God. So we looked together about how God's presence, his, his movable home was with the people of God, with his people. So historically, God has not and was not a God that has shut himself off from his people, right? He's always been present among him, among them. And Cole ended by saying the tabernacle really pointed to a future time where God would literally come as a man and live among lost people. So let's read John 1.14 again. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we could spend months on this one verse probably. But in the Bible, at the beginning, God spoke and creation exploded into existence. Right? And then after that, God continues to speak to his people directly. He makes promises or covenants with them, promising what their future will be like and what he will do. And he expresses himself through law given to Moses, rules about what they should do and what they should not do. And here, God's self-expression, his word, 
his speaking is, the text says, is putting on flesh, is becoming a human. Right? God will continue to speak to us, but, but now he's doing it in the form of a human, which means this, that Jesus Christ is God's word most clearly spoken to us in history. And so it says that God's self-expression, his word put on flesh and dwelt among us, which the literal Greek there for dwelt among us is tabernacled. He came to earth, put on flesh, and tabernacled. He made his habitat among the people. Eugene Peterson is a, is a biblical scholar who wrote a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and this is how he phrases that first part of John 1.14. He says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So just like I asked earlier, why start a church in any place? Why have a Christian presence in any neighborhood? There's a new question, and the answers are linked. Why did God become radically present as a human among the lost people of the world? And, and to answer that question first, we should know that, as we've alluded to, it's always been God's intention to dwell among his people. It's never been his intention to just start the earth and kind of let it spin and figure itself out. Right? In the garden, God dwelt with and among Adam and Eve. He walked with them and talked with them. And just like we discussed with Israel, he dwelled among them in the tabernacle. He made his habitat among them. And now we know that Jesus comes to earth as God, as human, and lives among his people. And beyond that, in Revelation, it, it's promised that Jesus will once again dwell directly with his people. It says this in Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be to them as their God. So one reason that God came to earth in the form of a man and dwelt among people is because he said he would. Very simply, he said he would. But second, and very importantly, God came to earth as Jesus for a purpose, a mission. Just like we plant churches in neighborhoods for a purpose, a mission, God came to earth as Jesus for a purpose, a mission. The rest of John 14, 1.14 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he came with a mission to bring grace and truth to the people. And ultimately, he does that in order that, that people would be healed and learn who God is and what he is saying, and ultimately that sinners would be saved. I want us to look quickly at two examples of one example of grace and one example of truth in Jesus' life. The first, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, uh, it says this. This is Jesus' life. And getting into a boat, he, he, Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, 
Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turns to the paralytic and says, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So here's what happens. When confronted with a man who needs very physical healing, Jesus responds instead with an ultimately gracious answer. He doesn't fix the immediate problem, but he does fix the eternal one. He forgives the man's sins. He has the power to heal the immediate problems, but he doesn't. He, he, he says, you're forgiven. And yet, ultimately, he shows just radical grace in healing the man physically in the moment as well. You see, he, he shows heavenly grace, eternal grace, ultimate grace by saving the man from his sins, and then shows radical physical grace by healing the man from his ailment. This is just one example of many where Jesus is healing and forgiving the sick and the marginalized, and both are wrapped up, and people kind of get confused because it's like, are you healing the, the current problem? Are you healing the, ult- healing the ultimate problem? And the answer is yes, a lot of the time for Jesus. And yet, he doesn't just come to heal the sick and perform miracles, although he does those things. He comes with a message. So, he comes with grace, but he also comes with truth. And it's a difficult message. Let's look at one example in Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. It says this, Jesus is preaching, and he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your, in- your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus says something hard. Not only must you love your enemies, and he goes on about how that's difficult and that everybody loves their friends, but it's hard to love your enemies. He says, not only must you do that, actually, you just need to be perfect. This is, this is a hard thing to hear for a lot of people listening to it because it's just like, okay, like maybe I, can, maybe I can learn to love my enemies. And you're just like, oh, yeah, also you need to be perfect. It's like, oh, I, I probably can't do that last part. So God dwells among the people in the form of a man, Jesus. He comes with miraculous grace, healing those who don't deserve it, healing them of their sin, And he also comes with difficult and important truth about who God is, upholding justice and love simultaneously. And yet, there is a climax moment of grace and truth in the life and ministry of Jesus, the cross. You see, at one point, God did live in perfect harmony with humans, right? Back to that garden that we've talked about where God walked with man and woman in harmony But because of sin, all of our imperfect actions and all of our imperfect thoughts, because of that, man and God are now separated, right? So, God is holy, we are not. 
God is perfect, we are not. God is perfectly loving, but we humans are not. And God is perfectly just. He can uphold justice, and we are certainly not. Right? So even though God's plan and His hope was always to dwell in harmony with us, because of His perfect holiness, He's unable to, because we're so stained by our bad actions and thoughts and selfish ways and Regardless of how well you can try and love your enemies, nobody is perfect. So we all, the Scripture says, we all fall short of the glory, the perfectness of God. And so he can't let our sin go unpunished because he said he's just. So we need something to bridge the gap between his perfection and our imperfection. And so God becomes a human. He dwells among us, and he came with the purpose to save sinners, so he lives a perfect, holy, loving, and just life. And yet when he hangs on the cross, he dies so that you, you and I could be united to God once again, the historic moment of heavenly grace and truth that God would take punishment that you and I deserved. And because he is God, he rose from the grave and ascended in victory, and he now sits at the, the right hand of the Father. So this is what's true for us. We who follow Jesus, we have been made right with God through the perfect work of his Son. We have been given ears, eyes, and hearts to recognize and believe the truth that God has for us, to believe the grace that God has for us, the gracious truth that he came as a man and lived perfectly so that we who are not perfect, we who are prone to selfishness, we who are slaves to death can be reconciled into an everlasting relationship with God. So the word came to dwell gloriously full of grace and gloriously full of truth in a person, Jesus, and displayed that grace and truth on the cross. So as we've seen, Jesus' grace and truth are revealed in a lot of different ways. But one of the most important ways that grace and truth are revealed to us now that matters as we talk about being present in our neighborhood is this, that he has given us his spirit. So that means for those here this morning that follow and believe in Jesus, you bear the spirit of God. God dwells in the world right now through you and through us, his church. Just like God has historically promised and just like Jesus came and made his home among the people, now God lives among his people by his spirit. Our bodies are the homes of God and our hearts are his throne. So in John 16, 7, it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says this. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, and if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So this is what the Holy Spirit does, right? The helper, the spirit of truth will come and guide us in all truth. He will call the people of God to himself by revealing what is true. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, brothers and sisters, is a spirit that graciously called us to God in the first place. So, if you follow Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit declared what was true to you. So why did we plant Sojourn Montrose over six years ago, or around six years ago? We planted Sojourn Montrose to bear the truth of God to our neighbors graciously, to show them God's presence, to not only have the presence of God by His Spirit within us, but also to bear that Spirit of God to each other and to the lost in our neighborhood. We show others God by His Spirit. When our neighbors encounter us, when your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, when they encounter you, they encounter God. So when those who don't know Jesus show up on a Sunday, maybe that's you right now, you come to a holy place, not, not a holy theater, but you come to a holy place, a people among whom God is present right now because we have a spirit, the spirit of God. Because we have that, we, we have the things that come with having the spirit of God within us. Fellowship, unity, friendship, love, belonging, joy, patience, gratitude, humility, etc. And when people show up, To our neighborhood parish gatherings, they come to a dinner where the Spirit of God is active, a community where people radically trust one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, and encourage one another, not perfectly, but authentically, we bear the image of God to one another by His Spirit. And our mission is this, to develop long-term, low-key relationships that are marked by grace and truth. Relationships marked by the integrity to share what we believe in, but also marked by grace to show that what we believe in changes our lives. Grace that that means we're not combative or hostile, we're kind and loving, trusting that the Spirit will call those who belong to God into His family by declaring to them what is true, but having the integrity to speak it. And so this is how we can Join God in making disciples, right? Followers of Jesus. This is how Houston will be transformed by the gospel. It's by us bearing God's image to the lost. So today on our birthday, let's remember that we are invited to God's table every week to share a meal with Him. And and in doing that, we remind ourselves of a God who put on flesh, who became human and whose human body was broken and human blood was shed and poured out in grace and truth on the cross so that we might find peace with him 
and peace with one another and have the opportunity to invite our neighbors into that peace. There's no more important message for them. There's no more important message for you. So as we leave this morning, let's remember that God dwells among us here right now by his spirit, and that's worth celebrating. So happy birthday to you, Sojourn Montrose. I'm blessed to call you family. And you are dear to me, not because of anything more than God dwells among you, and I see that evidently and weekly in the ways that you care for me. I see that weekly in the ways that you care for each other, and I see that all the time in the ways that you care for your neighbors. So let's remember that this morning and pray before we come to the table. Father God, we bless you for coming in the form of a human, for sending your son, dressing him with flesh in order that he might save. How miraculous your name. That's why we sang songs of praise for what you have done and who you are in Jesus Jesus, we praise you right now as you sit as full human with flesh and blood on the throne of heaven. We bless you as you hear our prayers and perfect them. We bless you, Holy Spirit, as you declare to us the things of Jesus. We bless you as you transform us into people who radically love each other, who fight for unity who have hard conversations because we love and who bear with integrity and grace and truth the the true message of the gospel to our neighbors who desperately need it. Lord, I pray that you might save one through us. And maybe you'll do much more than that, but if it's one more, it's worth it. That one person who doesn't know that it, that it could all be true. One person who doesn't know that they could be seen by the God of the universe as perfect and blameless through the work of Jesus. One person who can't fathom it. Lord, we ask for much more than that, but if you'll do one, it's worth it for us. We trust you with our church. So regardless of location, Lord, would you move in and through us. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We thank you for all things. In your name we pray. Amen.